electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Uh, today, Russia invades Ukraine overnight, and six F-35s have now been deployed from Germany to NATO's eastern flank. Stocks, as you know, sharply lower today, although we have seen some swings in the session. NASDAQ trimming its losses now just to about 60 points or so. Uh, we're watching all of that as it has implications for global markets, commodities, and certainly what the Fed may do uh, next month. Our Kayla Tausche is back with us on the latest from Europe and what we might expect to hear from the president around 1230 today. Kayla. Well, Carl, President Biden has been monitoring the situation developing in Ukraine around the clock today, meeting in the situation room with his national security team yet again as Russian troops led an invasion from three of Ukraine's borders and from the air. There are several meetings uh, that have followed throughout the day today, a meeting with G7 leaders virtually as they're trying to calibrate their next steps on sanctions. That just wrapped and a NATO summit of leaders is expected to take place later today, as is a meeting of the European Council. President Biden, as you mentioned, is going to be speaking next hour, expecting to roll out the next wave of sanctions, the next response from the U.S. and Western allies to that invasion, which was viewed by them as the worst case scenario, the scenario that they were trying to deter for the last weeks and months. So what sanctions could we expect the administration to announce? Well, what we know so far, both from what the administration has said publicly and from sources we've been speaking to who have been briefed on these sanctions, is that we do expect them to target these high-tech exports to Moscow, essentially cutting off Russia's ability to acquire semiconductors, artificial intelligence, or other types of technology for aerospace and defense that would allow Russia to modernize its economy going forward. We also expect the administration to target the biggest Russian financial institutions. And we also expect the administration to target more individuals in Russia with sanctions. Of course, we did see the U.S. target five elite individuals with sanctions earlier this week, uh, but stopped short of some of the, uh, the highest echelons of uh, Russian public service and stopped short of President Putin. Unclear whether these sanctions would be including President Putin as well. Uh, there are some open questions about what could be left on the cutting room floor here. We know that discussions have taken place around whether to block Russia's access to the SWIFT payment system. Uh, but I'm told that that is viewed as unlikely because European companies and to a lesser extent American companies use the SWIFT payment system to acquire things from Russia that would not be included in those sanctions, and that would make global transactions and global commerce extremely difficult. And then finally, uh, oil and gas exports from Russia. Although there are reports that credit is being denied for end buyers of some Russian energy, bank executives so far haven't really seen that, and some sources that I'm speaking to have suggested that targeting Russian financial institutions would be able to limit some of that energy export uh, without cutting off all 
exporting of energy altogether. Of course, we'll have to see what the administration announces and what the exact fine print is. But those are the contours, John, of what we're expecting uh, based on our own conversations and what the administration has said publicly. Uh, I know you'll continue to watch it. Kayla, thank you. Sure. Markets, meanwhile, choppy this morning in the crisis. Our Dom Chu has the latest. Dom. So, so John, you and I were talking earlier this morning about the market gyrations. At the lows of the day, to kind of put things in context for you, we were down nearly 3.5% overall for certain parts of the NASDAQ 100 market. You can see there the Invesco QQQ Trust, which many investors and traders use as a way to take a view on the NASDAQ, is off by about one half of 1%. At the lows of the day, we were down nearly 3.5%, so it's a decent bounce. A lot of that could be short covering. A lot of that could be this notion that some players are trying to find some identifiable rather values as the markets have, at least for the NASDAQ, entered that so-called 20% drop from the record highs or that correction slash bear market phase of the market overall. So Invesco QQQ, something to watch. The mega cap stocks that are now even trying to take a peek at green territory, positive territory for the day, include some of the biggest ones out there. Check, take a look at shares of Microsoft, Alphabet, and Amazon. They're all up fractionally. That may not seem like a lot, but each of these stocks at the lows of the session, just after the opening bell, were down anywhere from 2 to 4%. So again, mega cap technology and communication services and discretionary catching a bit of a bid. Some of the biggest gaps, though, between where the lows were on an intraday basis and then where we currently are now are in some of the names that have been hit hard over the course of the last several weeks and maybe even a couple of months at this point. You want to take a look at some of these names, specifically in semiconductors, specifically in other parts of the market like electric vehicles. Take a look, though, at shares of Tesla, also Enphase Energy and Arista Networks. Now, a lot of those moves there, as you can see there, have been very volatile to the upside after dips after the opening bell. So Tesla shares have been on a recent down run. Enphase Energy and Arista have been volatile. Those ones have seen some of the biggest bounces. And then we're going to end here not on something technology, but something that may be indicative of some of the sentiment overall in the market. Many of the travel names have now been seeing a bit of a bounce from those lows as well. Take a look at some of these names, airlines in particular, cruise lines as well. If you look at, say, Norwegian cruise lines, you take a look at a booking company like Booking Holdings. They just had earnings. Also, Alaska Airlines, Penn National Gaming. Some of these travel and leisure names have, again, bounced off those session lows and are trying to make a move to the upside here. But still, a lot of volatility. We'll see if that lasts. But again, a lot of mixed narratives in the market right now, guys. I'll send things back over to you. Uh, before we let you go, Dom, speaking of narratives, you know, one one explanation this morning for some of the rebound in those tech names is the way in which geopolitics is resetting Fed expectations. And we know how highly levered some of those names are to the future path of interest rates. Absolutely. And it was just earlier this morning on Squawk Box when Mohammed Al Arian at Queens College made the comments that, in his opinion, he thinks that 50 basis points in terms of a hike has now been, in his words, taken off the table. And many of those people who are calling for eight or nine interest rate hikes throughout the course of the year now have to ratchet down those expectations. And to boot, Carl, John Deirdre, even the futures market for things like Fed funds and interest rates have now been reducing the likelihood of a 50 basis point cut at the next meeting in March. So many parts of this interest rate discussion certainly being affected by what's happening with the overall Ukraine-Russia situation. But the Fed finds itself in a very tough spot, right, guys? We've got even worse inflation with fuel prices and wheat prices and corn prices. At the same time, they're trying to not raise interest rates to counter that. It's a tough spot for sure for the Fed, guys. 
Yeah, especially with oil uh, dangerously close to 100 today, Dom. Thank you, sure. uh, Dom Chu. Joining us this morning to talk more about geopolitics, retired Brigadier General, former Assistant Secretary of State Mark Kimmett. General, it's great to have you this morning. Appreciate your time. I'd love to know what you think about this quote from a U.S. official this morning. Um, we still believe it's our assessment that uh, Russia has every intention of basically decapitating the government in Ukraine and installing their own method of governance. Anything you've seen so far to dissuade you of that view? No, not at all. The military operation is right out of the Russian textbooks. They're starting off with cyber. They're then moving on to airstrikes, artillery strikes. I would expect to see massive movements of paratroopers and mechanized vehicles pretty soon. Uh, that only has one purpose, and that's to take over an entire country and hang on to it. And they'll do that by not only putting their soldiers on the ground, but also putting their government in the offices as well. General Petraeus was on our air yesterday and seemed to have the view in his piece in The Atlantic as well that Putin might have reserves, he might have some currency, cash, gold, but doesn't have necessarily popular support to make this work for a long period of time. Is that true? Well, one has to ask the question, does popular support even matter for President Putin? I mean, all the polls up to this point have been very negative on the notion of sending soldiers into uh, Ukraine and bringing them back in body bags, but that does not seem to have dissuaded President Putin for carrying out this operation. So if he doesn't have popular support, that may be true, but it may be unimportant. General, in terms of what's next for sanctions, there are increasing calls to ban Russia from the SWIFT international payment system. I understand the hesitation given the role of that system for European creditors um, as well as non-sanctioned industries. But is that the kind of sacrifice that may be needed here? What else might amount to, you know, shock and awe sanctions that could be used here? Well, I think we've got to look at the entire notion of sanctions and the entire theory of sanctions. Purposes of sanctions are trying to be, change the behavior of a national leader uh, to compel or dissuade that national leader from taking an action. Uh, I think the record of sanctions at this point is pretty weak. Uh, take a look at North Korea, Iraq, Iran, Cuba, Venezuela. None of them have changed significant behavior on the part of their leaders. So I think in many ways the people who are hurt are not only uh, the businessmen, but the people of those countries. Leaders don't react to sanctions. Uh, General, take a, a broader view, uh, if you will, on the impact for the European economy. I mean, it, it seems like uh, Europe's been tying its economies together uh, for the past 70 years post-World War II. This is the biggest war on the continent since then. You've got prices of energy and commodities spiking. Um, What's the likely impact on spending, consumer behavior, consumer confidence, uh, you know, e even as we watch this, this war, this tragedy play out? Yeah, when you take a look at the experiment of the European Union, I don't think it's going to split apart uh, just because of this particular event. I think that uh, the reaction on the part of the consumer and on the part of the governments is very similar to what we're seeing in the United States. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a significant reason why this would change buying behavior on the part of the individuals. You may see the same inflation uh, in Europe from higher energy prices, but I think fundamentally it won't cause a split in the EU experiment that we've been seeing uh, for the past 70 years. Um, 
And so as we think about companies that have exposure uh, to Europe, we've been talking a lot about uh, supply chain issues up to this point. Now I wonder what might happen with demand. I mean, even if buying patterns overall continue, um, might we expect this to, to dampen overall demand somewhat? Well, it could be. I mean, those aren't military questions as much as financial questions. And um, I, I, there's a theory that markets and behaviors will rebound quickly after these types of shock events. Uh, I wouldn't expect to see uh, this play out much longer. Candidly, the people in Europe are about as indifferent to the attack at, inside of Ukraine as people of Russia are opposed to it. But in both cases, I think we will see some level of settling down after whatever conclusion we're going to see of this. And uh, uh, the sanctions may have a minor impact, but I think that both the demand signals and the supply capabilities won't be significantly impaired, except perhaps in the energy sectors. So does that mean that in the uh, medium term diplomacy plays a role here? I mean, where, where, where does diplomacy leave us? after this initial stage, after this opening gambit of his? Well, honestly, I think uh, diplomacy is out of the window at this point. It's, it's gone. I mean, if, if President Putin won't react uh, and change his behavior by the calls of the United Nation, every nation, with the exception of China, has opposed this invasion. Uh, I'm not sure where the scope for diplomacy is. Uh, there, there may be a settlement bargain uh, at some point between the, uh, between the Russians and whatever the future of Ukraine is going to be. But the notion of diplomacy, of finding middle ground between two sides, I think that's very much out of the window at this point. Right. Would you describe Russia as a pariah state right now? No, it's certainly heading that way. I'm not sure Russia is a pariah state, but it's certainly the case that Putin has made himself a pariah dictator. General, appreciate uh, you helping us open up uh, this another hour of coverage uh, today. Very much appreciate your time. Thank you. Mark Thanks for having me. And let's get a quick check on markets. The Nasdaq has now turned positive. And take a look at Alibaba. The stock is moving down this morning following a mixed earnings report. The Chinese tech giant beat on earnings, but revenue grew at the slowest rate since it went public in 2014. Sluggish retail sales to blame for the miss there. China's tightened grip over their technology sector, also a factor. Alibaba's shares have fallen 50 percent over the last year, and that comes as China increases its antitrust and data privacy regulations. John. Yes, major indices uh, well, a couple of them in the red. The NASDAQ, uh, as Dee just mentioned, uh, popping into the green by about a tenth of a percent. Let's talk more about the market response today, what it means for investors. Joining us now, Wells Fargo Chairman of Global Internet Investment Banking, Bob Peck. Bob, good to see you. Um, it, it's interesting, uh, you know, this morning I'm seeing a lot of growth Internet names up quite a bit. I mean, uh, Asana is up 8%. Uh, Palantir, if that counts as internet. Roku up uh, 6.5%. ServiceNow up nearly 6 um, Does that tell us anything about resilience in this market or no? So first of all, thanks for having me. And it's great to see you again, albeit virtually. Can't wait to be, uh, be live back on the desk soon. Um, to get to your question, yeah, I mean, I think you want to think, first of all, pull the lens back for a second. I mean, for the year, from the recent highs, you know, the tech market's been, been down. The NASDAQ, 17%, give or take. But a lot of the mega cap names, the larger names, down 25% plus. 
You know, and with that, what you've really seen is multiple compression. First of all, in the broader S&P, you know, that multiple falling from 22 times to about 19 times, more in line with the five-year historic average. Um, but in the tech side, particularly, the vast majority of the pullback of these names has really been multiple compression. So what we've seen in talking to our institutional clients is, yeah, what point here is too much and where can you start adding to quality names? And where we're seeing investors really focus are on names that are high quality, recurring revenues, strong businesses and balance sheets, and starting to really sort of nibble a bit here. But yeah, as we all know, there's still a lot of question marks left to the market right now. So people are still sort of on the sidelines trying to gauge what to do. How closely are you going to be watching the impact on the European economy and perhaps uh, companies, even you know, mega cap tech companies that have large exposure to yeah. Europe? I mean, um, whether it's from an M&A uh, perspective or just from a demand and revenue perspective, might that have an important uh, impact for investors to watch? You know, absolutely. In fact, what we've been doing not only today, but over the last several weeks is getting in touch with our corporate clients, right? And really helping them think through, you know, if there is an invasion, what would that mean, particularly on your supply chain, raw materials, would there be any impacts there on revenues to your point, you know, being able to sell, having sanctions, you know, would those be impacted at all? And then quite honestly, across your capital structure. You know, do you want to bolster your balance sheet at this point? Do you feel like you are fully funded to free cash flow positive? And then lastly, we're also helping them think about if there is a continued pullback in the markets, are there M&A opportunities that become very interesting? You saw what Microsoft did recently uh, with Activision. And, and John, as you know, we're coming off uh, the, the record year ever in M&A, almost $6 trillion of M&A. And what I think is really interesting there is there's so much private capital around as well. So PE was one and a half trillion of that six trillion last year and has over a trillion right now on the balance sheet sitting there. Venture capital, as you probably know, doubled yeah. its uh, deployed funds to 600 billion from 300 billion typically. So there's a lot of capital there that can drive that M&A. As bankers, we're really trying to help our corporate clients really think through all these machinations. Yeah, we've been talking about that private-public dynamic and how flush private markets still are. Bob, I'm wondering how you're thinking about public sectors right now. Uh, as I look at cybersecurity, for example, you've got Palo Alto Networks up more than 10 percent, CrowdStrike up 9 percent. Um, you've seen a lot of choppiness this morning, but these kind of seem like an obvious bet as the anticipation of more cyber attacks ramps up. Yeah, I agree with you. And it probably is the obvious bet. It's the one that everyone's been talking about, cybersecurity, with the events that have taken place here. Yeah, as we've thought about other subsectors within technology, really what we've tried to do is look at, you know, where do you have the, the types of companies that, once again, very established with strong balance sheets, that high visibility into revenue, recurring revenue type natures, and ones that quite honestly can benefit from some of the changes that are taking place in the marketplace. You know, the, the social networks are interesting in that we see increased user engagement there and how will Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, how will they react to, you know, uh, prevent disinformation and yet still have strong engagement across their platform. So we think that's what you'll see investors look for, those quality type companies. Bob, what about the payments or fintech space as sort of we talk about what more aggressive sanctions might look like, such as banning Russia from the SWIFT international payment system? Uh, what would that mean for markets, for the payments companies? There'd be a lot of disruption there in terms of the flow of money. What would it mean for markets? 
There would be. And the derivative question of that then is, what does that mean as far as crypto and crypto adoption? How does that take place? So you have a bunch of different events taking place at the same exact time. You know, bigger picture, as we talk about it with clients, we try and look at the longer term nature of what's happening and the disruption in fintech and all these tech companies that are pioneering that way. And that's where that's where clients are right now. I think a lot are trying to figure out near term here how it will be impacted. But longer term, I think people are still very bullish on the opportunity. Hey, Bob, speaking of the long term, what do you think happens to uh, business confidence in Europe and business confidence among U.S. companies vis-a-vis Europe? I mean, over the long term, has that structurally changed? Yeah, I think it's too early for us to say. And once again, I'm not a geopolitical um, analyst. Oh, I'm not but, talking you know, geopolitics. Heard, so, yeah. I just mean what your clients just, are saying about, you know, long term M&A, uh, R&D, investment, uh, just growing businesses in Europe across the continent. Yeah, long term, I don't think there's any real structural change at all. I think you're going to continue to see cross-border M&A. I think you're going to continue to see cross-vertical M&A. And I think you're going to continue to see um, additional incremental private dollars helping fund some of these European startups um, as well as international companies. So I think long term, it's a very robust future for tech. All right. Bob Peck, uh, putting this all in perspective on a difficult day. Thank you. Thanks so much. By the way, as we've been talking, uh, NASDAQ's gone green and the Russell awfully close as well. Cyber attacks and security obviously top of mind following this invasion. Experts warning that American businesses need to stay vigilant. Our Eamon Javers has a lot more on that today. Eamon? Good morning, Carl. The nation's cyber defense agency is issuing a fresh warning to American corporate leaders and CEOs calling on American companies to be in a shields up cyber posture today. Here's the guidance now from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. They want people to empower their chief information security officers. Make sure everyone in the company understands that security investments are a top priority right now. Lower your reporting thresholds. They want people to report all cyber incidents today, even those incidents that are stopped by company defenses so they can be aware of what's going on out there. And test response plans. They want you to conduct tabletop exercises to plan responses to attacks on the company or its supply chain. And focus on continuity. Ensure that tests are conducted to ensure critical business functions can continue even during an extreme cyber attack scenario. And plan for the worst is what they're saying. The U.S. government says it doesn't have credible information now regarding specific threats to the U.S. homeland. But CISA warns managers should ensure that they can disconnect parts of their networks if they are hit by an attack. Meanwhile, in terms of what comes next and the response to any potential U.S. sanctions, I just spoke with cybersecurity expert Dmitry Alprovich, who says the Russian response to any robust U.S. sanctions could make everything that we've seen come before in cybersecurity look like a practice run. The Colonial Pipeline is going to be like a child's play if the Russians truly unleash all of their capability, particularly the capability of their intelligence services, not just the ransomware crews. And in that case, we can see Colonial pipelines times 100 uh, in terms of the impact that you can have on critical infrastructure that's truly targeted by some of the top tier cyber actors in the world. Now, the other deeply concerning element here is Russian control of natural resource exports out of Russia and now possibly Ukraine, depending on the military situation on the ground. Russia could sanction back the West's access to these resources to impact items uh, like nickel, aluminum, timber 
and a significant amount of the world's fertilizer that comes from Russia. That, of course, could cause huge supply chain disruptions in the West and boost food prices and inflation, potentially even here in the United States, guys. Back over to you. Eamon, these are, these are very scary scenarios, but we've been talking a lot over the last few years about the preparation and more security measures that corporations and critical infrastructure have been taking. Um, can you sort of say how much of a better position we are or not in over the last year? Are the public and private sectors working, cooperating better together? Well, look, we may be about to find out, right? Uh, the emphasis has been a lot. The rhetoric has been a lot around public and private partnerships, uh, the private sector and the government working together. We'll see how much reality there was behind that rhetoric if things really heat up here uh, from any Russian activity. Uh, but you saw the colonial pipeline damage over the summer and, and gas lines up and down the East Coast from just a ransomware attack. Uh, what Dimitri is saying here is, is that the Russian intelligence has capabilities that are vastly greater than the ransomware gangs do. The, the expectation is that the Russians have been able to penetrate U.S. infrastructure uh, systems for years now and have had systems waiting to go in case of any kind of emergency break glass scenario that they wanted to use. If they were to unleash that, uh, what that would look like, we have no idea. We've never seen it before in human history, and it would pre present a new kind of warfare, a hybrid warfare, that would be very difficult for the United States to respond to. And the, and the real fear among all the analysts I've been talking to is that that could escalate into something kinetic between the United States and Russia, not just, in the, not just stay contained in the cyber realm. That's the scary scenario that no one wants to get to. Eamon, appreciate that uh, so much to cover today. That's our Eamon Javers. We're watching the markets. Obviously, the Nasdaq going green got our attention a few moments ago. Dow down about 1.5%. S&P trimming its losses to less than 1%. Nasdaq at one point was down 3% and currently up four points. Tech Check is back after a break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. It's obviously a tough tape on this day of war in the Ukraine, but stocks are well off the lows. The Nasdaq has briefly gone green as uh, we are seeing some mega cap tech get bought here uh, from that uh, 3% loss. More on that in a moment, but first, a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. Here's what's happening at this hour. A top U.S. defense official says that Russia... It's just in the initial phase of a large-scale invasion of Ukraine. The official says that Russians are moving on three major fronts, with attacks designed to capture major cities and remove the Ukrainian government. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says that this is a global crisis. This act of wanton and reckless aggression is an attack not just on Ukraine. It's an attack on democracy and freedom in Eastern Europe and around the world. This crisis 
is about the right of a free, sovereign, independent European people to choose their own future. And that is a right that the UK will always defend. Meantime, in eastern Ukraine, a civilian apartment building is among the many hit by bombs and missiles. Firefighters there work to extinguish flames as residents tried to salvage their belongings. And across Ukraine, people trying to escape the fighting are now clogging roads. Traffic was at a standstill on a major road out of Kharkiv. That's a city of more than a million people near the eastern border with Russia. You're now up to date. John, I'll send it back to you. Rahel, thank you. For more on the market reaction to Russia's invasion of Ukraine and this sharp intraday move, let's get to our Bob Pisani. Bob. And it's been quite a morning, quite confusing, as traders are trying to figure out some kind of bottom, but it all has a very tentative feel to it. Uh, what's important is NASDAQ turned positive, and that's because mega cap tech has turned positive. Look at the S&P 500. We were down 100 points right at the open. The low print was just at the open. We have now cut those losses uh, by, you see there, about 60%. And the reason the Nasdaq has turned positive is mega cap tech has turned positive. Why has this happened? There's no particular uh, macro reason why, but uh, the trading community seems to have levitated itself into mentally believing that the Fed may be more interested in going a little bit slower, that 50 basis points rate hike in March, which the market's very afraid of, may be off the table, although everyone agrees the Fed has to hike rates, maybe just a little slower to combat inflation. Again, not necessarily any hard evidence to support that. It's just a sort of a mental belief that's going on. Elsewhere, other signs of interesting little movement in the markets. Consumer staples are getting sold very heavily today. That's interesting because consumer staples have been outperformers, not just for this week, but for the year. When they start selling them and they've been relative outperformers and buying tech stocks, they're trying to reverse the play, the current trend in the market a little bit. Again, not necessarily a sign of a bottom, maybe just a short-term trader ploy here, uh, but it is interesting to watch that. What's still continuing is the tough time for banks. Banks have had a terrible week, uh, primarily because because interest rates have stopped going up. In fact, they're going in the other direction. So uh, J.P. Morgan and Goldman have been a real weight on the Dow all week. And even the super regional banks, as I call them, the Zions, the Fifth Thirds, the PNCs, uh, they've all been notably weaker. I've emphasized there are three reasons why the market is having a very tough time. And historically, these three factors, when they come together, not good for stocks. Number one, of course, we have higher inflation. Stocks do well for modest inflation, but periods of rapid inflation make it very difficult for corporations to consistently keep raising prices. That's on the horizon. Slower growth, of course. Uh, We're nowhere near a recession, but higher oil prices going to weigh on growth somehow. And of course, the Fed tightening. Slow rate hikes in a strong economy, not a problem. But rapid rate hikes in a slower economy, which is what we might be facing, that's a problem. You put these three factors together, Historically, this is a no-go for the stock market. Is there any sign of a bottom? We just don't know yet. But these are the kinds of things that traders look for. A drop in the selling pressure. Have we seen that? No. Uh, How about multiple 90% downside days where the volume and the pricing is down 90%? uh, And then suddenly 90% upside days where people just change their mind quickly. Nope, haven't seen that either. How about a divergence in new lows? Awful lot of new lows and more likely coming. Is that reversing? Not really. So we haven't seen anything that would indicate a bottom, Deirdre. And of course, the bottom line is we won't know until we get some clearer resolution to this crisis. Back to you. Bob, thanks for that breakdown. We're going to take a closer look now at what this means for the markets and foreign policy. Our next guest is calling for harsher sanctions against Russia, including 
on oil and gas. Joining us now, Atlantic Council President and CEO Fred Kemp. Fred, it's great to have you this morning. I'm not sure if you heard our conversation earlier with General Timmet, but he essentially said that the record of sanctions is weak, uh, hasn't worked in other countries, and leaders don't listen. Is that because they haven't been aggressive enough? And what is the likelihood that they will this time? What would that look like? Uh, no, there's no doubt, Generals, right? The uh, the the Biden administration officials that are putting together the sanctions and at 1230, President Biden's going to speak and we'll hear about some more. I can talk to you about what I think what I'm expecting from that uh, from that speech. Um, and uh, and the administration officials now for Biden were the officials for Obama in 2014. And they concede that at that time, the uh, sanctions they put in place against Putin really did no good. They didn't influence him at all. This time they say they're going to do it in such a way it influences them, going after families, going after the family members and the children, uh, going after some major banks. And that's what I think is going to be announced today. VTB Bank, it's down half in, in value today. Um, a spare bank, one of the biggest banks in Russia, uh, you know, Rosneft Bank, um, you're going to the Gazprom Bank, you're going to see larger banks than we heard about yesterday being sanctioned. Uh, there's also going to be a set of sanctions that really blocks uh, the transfers. It's a little bit more complicated. You'll hear about that more. But they see these as more serious. But where you're right is we're talking about Russia, the 11th largest country in the world, so a G20 country, invading a country of 44 million people. From an economic standpoint, if you go too far with the sanctions, oil and gas, which I'm pushing for, but other people say uh, that's just not in the cards, uh, you're going to, you could hurt the global economy and yourselves at the same time. So these have to be calculated in such a way to do the, the most harm to Putin and the least harm to the world economy. Fred, what about uh, some of the other export sanctions that have been talked about, such as targeting industries like chips and artificial intelligence capabilities? Are you expecting that later today? Where do you put that in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, we're, we're there too. That's that's the one that we used against China and Huawei. Uh, it was unique. It hadn't been used that way before Huawei. And that's on the table. But I've, I'm told it's not going to be announced today. Uh, that's uh, that's in the back pocket as things go further. The other thing that we've been pushing for, but we're told is not in the cards, is something we did against Iran, which is central bank sanctions. And that essentially freezes in place money that the Russian central bank has all over the world, uh, really gets a currency convertibility. I mean, it is, uh, it is maybe even a tougher sanction than SWIFT. Uh, but I think they do not want to go there for the purpose, for the reason that it is a G20 economy and it could hurt uh, others as much as it hurts Russia. But that certainly would be a very tough sanction. But uh, the Russian economy is a much more important economy systemically than, than Iran is. And so far, the administration isn't going there. Fred, isn't this really about China to a large extent? I mean, sanctions work assuming that somebody wants to be a part of your club, but uh, China isn't even calling this Russian invasion of Ukraine an invasion, and they're trading with Russia more, it appears. Doesn't that, in effect, lessen any sanction impact the U.S. might try to have and uh, create even more of a, a West versus East dynamic here? So Russia has three things going for it economically right now that will make it difficult to hurt it as much as one normally could with sanctions. The first is $100 oil and going up. 
that puts a lot of money in their pockets. The second is they have more than $700 billion in currency reserves. And then the third is your point, China. Uh, China is, uh, is a little torn here because on the one hand, China refers to the, land, uh, sorry, the UN charter that says you should not uh, uh, go, you know, go into a country like uh, Ukraine, sovereign country, and subjugate it. But on the other hand, uh, Russia has become a much closer ally. A couple of weeks ago on the first day of the Olympics, you had a 5,300-word joint statement written by President Xi and President Putin. We haven't seen that close of common cause between the two leading authoritarians of the day since World War II. On the other hand, China's got to be a little bit careful because, uh, you know, they, they don't want to be seen abetting a terrible war. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how China navigates this next period of time. That's interesting, Fred, uh, because the wires this morning uh, have a couple of bulletins. One is that Russia is offering crude uh, at a record discount uh, as some of their buyers pause purchases. Their stock market has had the worst day in history. And now Putin's on the tape saying... Uh, we're part of the global economy. We do not plan to damage the system that we belong to. Where do you think that comes from? Is that is that some feeling that among the elites that these early sanctions will bite? I, I think that Putin has been surprised the uh, the extent to which uh, the West uh, Western democracies have come together. The Biden administration has done well in terms of uh, unifying. Uh, Europe with the United States around a tough set of sanctions. Maybe they're not going to be tough enough for Putin, but they are a, a tough set of sanctions. You had a joint press conference uh, of Ursula von der Leyen, the uh, head of the European Commission, and the NATO Secretary General, Jens Stoltenberg. That's very unusual. It was a quite moving moment. I think what we're really going to see is does Putin's determination outlast this newfound common cause of Western democracies. Uh, and I think Putin has got to hedge a little bit here uh, because seeing our unity, seeing the hurt to his own economy, he also has to message uh, uh, that he's not going to go too far. So far, he's hit military installations. He's taken out air defense. He's going after command and control. But he's been quite careful thus far not to hit civilian populations in Ukraine. When that happens or when body bags keep, start coming back to Russia, the political situation is just dramatically different. Fred Kemp, thank you for your insights this morning. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Choppy trading, sharp intraday moves in a volatile session for stocks. Our Julia Borston now has some of the biggest movers in tech this morning. Julia? Well, John, bucking the overall downward trend, the best performer in the S&P today, Live Nation. Shares of that stock up more than 6% after the company reported better than expected revenue in the fourth quarter and shared a bullish outlook for the year, saying that they did expect 2022 to set records. The movie theater stocks are also higher after IMAX reported better than expected results. We have AMC Entertainment and IMAX both up about 2%, while Cinemark is up nearly 1%. Now, in contrast, the media and the telco stocks have been selling off, led down by Discovery, which this morning reported an earnings miss in the addition of fewer streaming subscribers than analysts had expected. That stock now down over 6%. The company also acknowledged on its earnings call that its footprint in Eastern Europe far larger than its media rivals could see advertising impacted 
by the conflict in Ukraine, particularly in nearby markets such as Poland. Now, DISH shares are also down at 5.5% after the company reported worse subscriber losses than anticipated. And meanwhile, some of the ad-supported, digital ad-supported players seem to be benefiting from the tough morning for more traditional media stocks. We see Pinterest, Twitter, and Snap all in the green. Pinterest up the most of them, up over 3%. Also worth noting that Roku shares are much higher. Roku shares now 5.5%, bolstered by Kathy Wood's ARK fund, increasing its position in that stock. That ETF is also up 2.5% today. Analyst Michael Nathanson telling us, quote, Roku, Twitter, and Snap derive a very small portion of their revenues from Europe and are rather insulated versus Facebook and Google, saying that the biggest risk is that inflation and this invasion impacts consumer confidence in the eurozone and damages consumer demand, which hurts performance marketing. Now, with that greater exposure to the Eastern European market, we do see meta platforms, Facebook, those shares are down marginally. Alphabet, Google was down earlier, but now back in the green, up about half a percent. Guys? Uh, Julia, a lot of this has gotten buried this week for obvious reasons, but two stories kind of caught my attention on the spending side. One was Caesars earlier in the week saying they're going to curtail a lot of marketing, especially on broadcast. And then today, the Discovery CFO saying that how much money is enough in terms of uh, content spending? Uh, It's not about winning the spending war. Money doesn't score goals. I wonder if you think that's a big pivot. Well, look, I think what's interesting is that, you know, Discovery has always been smaller than these other streaming players. It is not going to be investing as much in content, in original streaming content as, say, a Netflix is. It's just playing a very different game. But what I think Discovery was trying to say, and I don't know if the market read it as such, was that Discovery was trying to say that they're not going to be trying to spend toe-to-toe with the likes of a Netflix or Disney, but they are going to try to be competitive in their own way. Of course, we are awaiting that deal with Warner Media to close, and they will be combining those streaming assets, but they're certainly not going to be spending as much money as, say, a Netflix is. So I think that's certainly one factor that's weighing on that stock. But also remember, Discovery, one of its advantages is that it does have this huge European presence. The question, Mm -hmm. though, is that whether that becomes a a downside now when you look at potential disruptions to the European ad market. Yeah, certainly. Julia, thank you. Meanwhile, take a look at bookings, booking holdings, one of the biggest laggards on the NASDAQ this morning. We will discuss more of that next. And by the way, Julia did mention social media. How about a Russian social media stock, Yandex, trades on the NASDAQ. It's being cut in half today, down more than 50 percent, leading the declines in Russian equities. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Some real swings in trading today. The Nasdaq was down as much as 3.5% now down just about a half percent. A stock like Microsoft has made a 5% intraday move in just the last couple of hours. Our Leslie Pickers here looking at how this dynamic could impact the largest investors and funds. Leslie. 
Hey, John, yeah, today is the kind of day that spotlights macro hedge funds. They've been the standout so far in 2022, pulling in gains in January when others posted losses. We'll find out in a few weeks whether they successfully navigated this week's geopolitical events, although this is exactly the type of environment that would lead investors to allocate to macro. Macro funds bet on global bonds, currencies, commodities, and equities and position their portfolios based on probabilities of certain political and economic events. After years of struggling, macro funds gained 1.7% in January on an asset-weighted basis. According to HFR, that compares to losses of 4% for hedge funds overall and negative 5% for the S&P 500 during that month. We'll get returns for February in a few weeks' time. Bridgewater is the largest and perhaps most well-known macro fund solidly in the green during January. Macro hedge funds received inflows of $33 billion last year to end the year with or sorry, $637 billion in AUM, despite the strategy's underperformance in 2021. So it's clear that investors were anticipating global events that would warrant putting additional capital into this type of strategy. This stands in contrast to the major technology-focused investors who have been clear winners over the last few years. We've talked about them many, many times on this program in particular, but whose returns have been absolutely bleeding in 2022 amid a sell-off in growth names. J.P. Morgan urging investors in a new note this morning to hedge their geopolitical risk by increasing allocations to commodities, energy, and materials, which the firm says would help diversify a portfolio in the face of rising inflation, geopolitical risks, and COVID reopening. So kind of the type of trade that you might expect to see from these macro fund managers, guys. Uh, we're going to watch to see how their views develop. Uh, Leslie, thank you. Uh, Leslie Picker. Let's talk a bit more about investment implications from the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Our next guest is maintaining her current portfolio positioning, saying that geopolitical events are expected to increase volatility in the short term, but she does not see a long-term deterioration to the global economy. Joining us today, Wilmington Trust's Megan Shu. Megan, it's great to have you. Um, sometimes they say uh, flat is a position. It kind of sounds like that's where you are today. Yeah, Carl, thanks so much for having me. I think, I don't know about flat being a position. We do still have an overweight to equities and portfolios. Patience is definitely a position that we think is is warranted right now. It rarely um, is is fruitful in the long run to sell in a panicked market. And I really do think that's what we're, we're faced with. There's just so much uncertainty. Uh, it's geopolitical in nature, which clearly is difficult for investors to to model and price accordingly. I think this is a very serious um, political event, and it has some spillover implications for investors. Uh, but as of right now, we expect a somewhat modest economic impact, uh, economic spillover. So a fairly modest adjustment downward for areas that are most closely associated um, with the conflict that's unfolding, so namely Europe. Um, and, and probably the biggest risk to the U.S. consumer would be if oil prices uh, escalate further and stay elevated for a prolonged period of time, where clearly sentiment has already deteriorated because of inflationary concerns. Right. Why, to, for those who are more worried about uh, commodity disruption, uh, less energy security all around the world, uh, this whole situation inflating um, stagflationary fears, why, why aren't you worried about that or as worried about that? Well, we're, we're, we're concerned. Uh, I would say upside risks to inflation is one of our um, biggest risks that we're monitoring. We still have an expectation, at least in the U.S., 
that growth is going to remain very solid. We have a 3% GDP forecast for 2022. So uh, while certainly slower than 2021, that's, that's not a stagflationary backdrop. Again, um, the oil price transmission mechanism is probably the biggest risk. But so far, it's uh, the price of oil is trading on fear of disruptions. We, we have not seen any supply disruptions. We don't uh, anticipate that as our base case. It would hurt uh, everyone, including not only Russia, but Europe, the U.S. So I think policymakers are going to be very careful about using that as a sanction tool um, in this environment. And so if we don't see that, we do think that oil prices could um, moderate. Uh, and again, if our, our economic backdrop is, comes to fruition, that, that's not a stagflationary environment. Right. But Megan, it's hard to at this moment judge how much sort of pain Western economies are willing to self-inflict to hurt Russia. So as we get prepared to hear more sanctions, is there something that would make you change your near term thesis, such as export controls on semis or the commodities disruption that you've been talking about or perhaps banning Russia from SWIFT? Yeah, well, I think that the um, some of those more dramatic sanctions would probably have more um, there would be more uh, in terms of spillover to Europe. Uh, and I think that is that is a possibility. Again, um, we've heard that Europe has opposed uh, so far taking some, some of those steps and endorsing those. I think the Biden administration will similarly be hesitant to do anything that could jeopardize the energy supply. Um, but it is there. there is a lot of unknown right now. Again, I think when you see volatility spike, like this, um, outside of a global economic slowdown or a recession, uh, which is still not our base case, even under the more dire scenario that's unfolding, um, we think it is more likely than not that we'll see equities trade higher over the next 12 months. Um, and I think that there's other conditions to be thinking about in terms of the energy markets as well, with the possibility of Iranian supply coming on, maybe at the margin. Um, some relief on prices from release of strategic petroleum reserves. So there's just there's just too much um, uncertainty right now. So all we can do is stick to what we do know um, and what is unfolding. And again, we just are avoiding at this moment. It could change. Um, it's changing by the hour, really. But at this moment, we are not uh, selling our risk positions. And that's what I wonder, not just about selling positions, but also what you might buy instead, because it does seem like um, th this tighter alliance, perhaps, between Russia and China that we were talking about earlier could be significant. We, we've been talking about U.S.-China decoupling. Do you end up having to think about the, the strong possibility of Europe-Russia decoupling and its implications not just for energy and commodities, but for, um, you know, the availability of markets in general? Yeah, well, I think we're, we're sort of moving into a new regime where you had a real centralization of, of power from the U.S., maybe China. And I think one of uh, Putin's goals is to fracture that and to create a more um, fractured, less united global uh, political and economic environment. Um, I think the alliance between China and Russia should make any investor uh, apprehensive. Um, and, and obviously, I think... Uh, President Xi is watching all of this closely. 
there has been, you know, the, the, the next the next order crisis would be something involving Taiwan, as I'm sure you, you've covered here. And the semiconductor industry in particular, which is already reeling from supply chain disruptions. And we know uh, the, the minerals and the gases that come out of Ukraine in particular in a very heavy concentration that are utilized for semiconductors. This would put additional strain on that particular part of the market. But overall, tech is starting to look more attractive for us as an investment uh, allocation. We've been neutral to technology. I think it is selling on weakness of higher inflation. The Fed unlikely to roll back their plan for raising interest rates. But at these valuations and really taking a longer term outlook, I think there are some opportunities within that sector. Yeah, certainly some feel that way. We're watching the ARC Innovation ETF up uh, almost 2.5% today uh, to that very point. Megan, appreciate it very much. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Megan Shu. Thank you. Now, tech was leading us to the downside, now one of the better performing sectors. Uh, at the bottom of the indices, financials, consumer staples, and, oddly enough, energy. More when Tech Check returns after this break. Just about 30 minutes until we hear from the president with Congress urging Biden to stand strong against Russia. Elon Moy has more on that. Elon. Well, Deirdre, Congress has already begun discussing an emergency spending package to bolster the Biden administration's sanctions against Russia and to support Ukraine. Democrats say the White House has told them it'll need at least a billion dollars in humanitarian relief alone over the next year. Lawmakers from both parties have also been pushing to send additional lethal weapons like javelins, drones, anti-ship missiles. GOP Senator Lindsey Graham also says he wants money to shore up Ukraine's cybersecurity protections as well. And there is also bipartisan support for increasing funding to the Defense Department to deploy troops to our NATO allies. Democratic Representative Alyssa Slotkin, a former CIA analyst and a top defense official, tweeted this. Congress has a role to play in the coming days. We need to finalize a package of sanctions, grease the skids for more military aid, and make clear that, despite our differences, reasonable Democrats and Republicans are united in condemning Russia's unwarranted aggression. Now, lawmakers are currently on recess, but guys, they will receive a briefing from top White House officials later on today on the developing situation in Ukraine. Over to you. Uh, Elon, that's fascinating. Uh, Adam Schiff on the tape right now saying there's a pressing concern uh, that Russian cyber attacks may extend beyond Ukraine, but he does expect a, a long and bloody battle. Um, corporate earnings are going to get overshadowed today, but after the bell tonight, we are going to get coin, uh, Etsy, a uh, company formerly known as Square, Block, Dell, Beyond Meat, and Intuit. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.